Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. Here are your hosts, Bill Fraser and Tony Sartu. Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. I'm Bill. And I'm Tony. And we're going to explore our love for music by sharing some facts and our thoughts on what I think are some of the best albums from the most recent Rolling Stone Top 500 album list. And today's album is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles. Sgt. Pepper's was released on May 26th of 1967 and was the number one album on Rolling Stone's Top 500 list in both 2003 and 2012. However, in 2020, it dropped all the way down to number 24, which is pretty curious. I don't get it. I don't it's, get it. It is kind of amazing in eight years to to fall from number one to 24. It makes you really wonder what the intelligentsia was thinking here. As far as basic sales go, the album has sold over 32 million copies worldwide since its release. So, Bill, what's your personal history with the record? Growing up, my understanding of the Beatles really came from my mom. My mom was a huge Beatles fan as a teenager. And really, I know the Beatles from the early Beatles, the Ed Sullivan Beatles and all of the early poppy type songs. That was my connection with the Beatles. I didn't really listen to Sgt. Pepper because that kind of started to get into the period of time where my mom wasn't really listening to the Beatles quite as much. So that's pretty much my history with this album. I really didn't listen to it. I didn't listen to the album as a kid so much. My dad was a huge Beatles fan, but in our house growing up, we too listened to more of the earlier stuff, not so much the later work like Sgt. Pepper's and Abbey Road. But for me, I did definitely buy this when it was released on CD back in like 87 or something. I think it was around the 20th anniversary. And it was just an enormous deal when this CD came out. So I definitely bought it then and definitely listened to it a thousand times after that. So what's the social and musical context of 1967 when this record came out? So we'll talk about the number one albums of the year. For the last nine weeks of 1966, the Monkees debut album was the number one album. And then it continued at number one for the first five weeks of 1967. Do you have any idea what displaced the Monkees debut album at number one? Not sure. Well, let me tell you, it's more of the Monkees, which was number one for the next 18 weeks after that. So you had the Monkees debut and then the Mon Monkees more of the monkeys, the sophomore effort, was number one really for the first 23 weeks of the year. Well, maybe that's why Mick up. wanted to be a monkey man. <laughs> nice. So after more of the monkeys, Herb Alpert took over with an album called Sounds Like, and that was number one for the week of June 17th, followed by yet another monkeys record called Headquarters, which was number one for Quite the week prolific of June prolific in 1967. Right? I mean, seriously, the monkeys... I think maybe they don't get enough credit for uh, how influential they were. Okay, so after Headquarters by the Monkees, Sgt. Pepper hits the top spot for the week of July the 1st, and it stays there for the next 15 weeks before giving way to Bobby Gentry and then the Supreme's Greatest Hits in mid-October. Then the Monkees returned to number one on December 1st, where it would end the year with Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. So... More of the Monkees is not only the number one selling album of the year in the year that Sgt. Pepper's comes out, but it was 
also one of three number one albums for the Monkees. So between the Monkees and Herb Alpert, they were running neck and neck for influence at the time uh, in 1966 and 1967. They were right there with the Beatles. So I, I don't get that as far as like popularity and whatnot. Looking at the albums that came out in 67, Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experience? Jimi Hendrix, Axis Bold as Love. How are they not <laughs> up there? Aretha Franklin, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Jefferson Airplane, Surrealistic Pillow. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess the same can be said today if you look at the charts in any given year, right? The top sellers, there's a lot of fluff in there, I suppose. All right, well, that's the year in music. So why don't we talk about the social context? What was going on in 1967? 67. Oh, another year that was just crazy. You look back and you see Super Bowl one. Packers beat the Chiefs. There are a lot of racial tension issues going on in in 1967. You've got a lot of race riots in Detroit and Tampa and Plainfield, New Jersey and Minneapolis and Washington, D.C. There's the big Supreme Court case of Loving versus Virginia, where Virginia state law at the time was that interracial couples could not be married. And the case of Loving versus Virginia brought that to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ultimately ruled that the law in Virginia violated the 14th Amendment, which granted people equal protection under the laws of the country. Well, and you know, and and if you think about modern times today, so with laws being passed in Florida and being proposed in other states where you are not allowed to talk about past history of racial discord if it makes other people uncomfortable. You're not allowed to even talk about it in schools. They couldn't even talk about loving versus Virginia in the state of Florida because it might make some people uncomfortable. I mean, it's it's really hard to understand. You know, so that strife that we're talking about in, in, in 67, it's still right here front and center today. And you've got a lot of polarity in 67 in that Thurgood Marshall becomes the first black Supreme court justice, but Lester Maddox becomes a racist segregationist governor in the state of Georgia. So a lot of other things happened in 67 as well. Ronald Reagan became the governor of California. John McCain was shot down in Vietnam, became a a POW in Vietnam. There is the summer of love, the whole movement in 67 where the young hippie population really came together, mostly in Haight-Ashbury, but was really an anti-war free love scene that really spread across the whole country. The first human heart transplant took place. PBS was established. Books that Tony, we read in high school, The Outsiders and In Cold Blood came out. The Carol Burnett Show, Gentle Ben, The Flying Nun, and Speed Racer all debuted on television. Hair opened up on Broadway. And the Monterey Pop Festival debuted in California. And it was the launch of Jimi Hendrix. And oh, so that's the Otis Redding. one? And, yep. Otis Redding and Steve Miller, as well as Big Brother and the Holding Company. Do you know who mm-hmm. it was in Big Brother and the Holding Company? A, a gal named Janice. A gal named Janice. And also, first issue of Rolling Stone came out in 1967. Wow, quite a year. Uh, you know, you mentioned The Outsiders, uh, just a little trivia. Outsiders, I don't know if it actually took place there, but it was definitely shot in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, where um, me and my family lived for four years back in the 80s. You could have been Pony Boy, is that what you're saying? Stay gold, Bill. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go on to talk a little bit about the artist background and the lead up to Sgt. Pepper. All right. So at this time, it's really at the height of Beatlemania and the Beatles are getting crushed by it. They're literally trapped 
in their homes because of just the craze and the mad crush of all the fans. So they're trapped physically in their homes. They can't, they make the decision to stop touring because they just can't deal with the pressures of, of dealing with the public. But they're also kind of trapped artistically because they've been doing the same kind of style of music and it's what got them there, but it's not what they wanted to do. They were still young or they had been young and relatively you know, new artists. So they were still growing and learning and they wanted to do something different. So at this time, they're pulling back from the public eye and they stop touring and they start exploring themselves. And this is really where Sgt. Pepper's comes out. So John is, you know, trapped at home and he's really, he's depressed. He's having trouble with his marriage. He's really deep into drugs, LSD, and who knows what else. And Paul takes the lead. He comes up with this idea to do Sgt. Pepper's. And he thought that they needed to reinvent themselves, but they were so iconic and such public figures, he thought, well, why don't we disguise ourselves? Why don't we create alter egos for themselves? So that's really the genesis for where the whole Sgt. Pepper's idea came from, wanting to separate themselves from their past and create completely new personas. The other thing that I thought was interesting is he came up with that idea on a flight and he was sitting next to one of their tour guys. And supposedly, as the story goes, and I've heard this on multiple interviews with McCartney, one of the guys that was on tour with them turns to Paul on the flight and says, can you pass the salt and pepper? And he looks at him and said, did you say Sergeant Pepper? And that's how he came up with the Sergeant Peppers. And I've heard that on an interview with Howard Stern. I've heard it in an interview with Rick Rubin in the one, two, three series on Hulu. So that is McCartney's recollection of how he came up with the title. Hey, maybe it's true. At the same time, you tell these stories over and over again for 50 some odd years. Sometimes a little fiction can become fact in your mind. So yeah. I'm not sure I believe that, but hey, it's better than anything else, right? It, it's a cute story at the very least. Yeah. So you've got the Beatles wanting to escape their prior selves and really express their more mature, true selves. And a quote that really sticks out to me from Paul talking about this is, we were fed up with being the Beatles. We were not boys, we were men. And it was that attitude that drove them to make this album and then really everything thereafter. So kind of continuing on that thread, Tony, the reason that they wanted to stop touring was kind of multifaceted. So you had the whole pressure of the fans and the crush of going out in public and the fact that they couldn't go anywhere without being recognized. But you also had the reaction of the public to some of the things that the Beatles were saying and doing. And they, they, weren't, they were kind of dipping in popularity at that time. Lennon had come out with the famous quote that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus, and it was not received well at all. And their popularity really dipped in 66, and they were receiving death threats. The last tour that they did, they toured a few places in Asia, and th there's a story about them in the Philippines where they actually were, were scared and had to sneak out of the country because they supposedly offended Imelda Marcos. And there's quotes from them saying basically they would never go back. So they go into the studio to record Sgt. Pepper's and they've got death threats. They've got this pressure on them because they're not doing quite as well. And their label was feeling like they weren't doing as well. And their manager feel was feeling like they weren't doing as well. You know, the bloom was off the rose, so to speak. So they were concerned that they had to they had to put up and they had to put up something big. Well, that's interesting then thinking back to what we were talking about earlier, right, with 
Herb Albert and the Monkees. The Monkees may have been really putting a lot of pressure on the Beatles. I, I, with agree, their I agree. 100%. Yeah. I, 100%. Interesting. Wow. So, Tony, why don't we talk a little bit about the cover art? This one is an absolutely amazing album cover. All right. Let's hear it. I mean, it, it's, it seems to be something I've seen before. Is it kind of recognizable? <laughs> so this one is really art. And it's, it's, it was at the time the most expensive album cover that had ever been made. It was the first album cover to include the song's lyrics on the back of the album cover. They created a set and the set was effectively a large piece of art that was created by Jan Haworth and Peter Blake, who were husband and wife at the time. And it came from a sketch that Paul McCartney had done. So Paul drew this sketch and the idea was that it was the Beatles with all famous and infamous people that they admired and thought were significant figures. And what you see in the picture is them immersed in this crowd. And in the crowd is cutouts of famous people. And those cutouts were done with cardboard cutouts in in a lot of the cases. They also had wax figurines. There were 57 photos and nine wax figurines in the album cover. And I'll just call out a few of the names. So we mentioned Aleister Crowley in in the pod with Bowie. Mae West, Lenny Bruce, W.C. Fields, Edgar Allan Poe, Dylan, Tony Curtis, Marilyn Monroe, Karl Marx, James Joyce, Marlon Brando, Lewis Carroll, Einstein, Marlena Dietrich is on the cover, and Sonny Liston, as well as wax figurines of the Beatles themselves as the the moppy hair Beatles versus the Sgt. Pepper Beatles. So it is just an absolutely amazing piece of art. And not to mention all of the other pieces that are in there that are sprinkled all around. You've got a lot of, of Indian influence from their, their trips to India. There's different dolls and figurines and sculptures and whatnot. There's a lot of interesting things on this album cover. And I think what I've seen in looking at a lot of these albums, especially of this time, it was really the start of really thinking about album covers as art. When you look at this album cover, when you look at the Let It Bleed album cover that we talked about last pod, when you look at the Velvet Underground covers that were done by Andy Warhol, the Warhol, Warhol. Warhol, right? It's just absolutely amazing. So Tony, why don't you start us off with something you might not know, because I think we're going to tie our something you might not knows together today. And I think if you go first, it would work really well. All right. So I'm going to talk about the Quarrymen. The Quarrymen was the predecessor band to the Beatles. John founded the band in 1956 at the age of 16 while attending Quarry High School. And that's where they took their name. So the group played a style of music called skiffle, which I'd never heard the term before, but I'm familiar with the music once I read what it was. And it originated in America, in the American South in the early 20th century. And it has its roots in African-American music and features improvised instruments like washboards and the comb and paper kazoo, wash tub basses, cigar box fiddles, in addition to conventional uh, instruments like acoustic guitars and banjos. So Quarrymen, John founds them. 16 years old, 1956. And then in 57, he meets Paul and Paul joins the band in October of 57. Paul went to a different school. He went to the Liverpool Institute and he was friends with George Harrison, who was there. However, George was 14 at the time. So Paul's now in the band with the Quarrymen and he wants to have George join because he thinks that George is pretty good. But John is like, I don't know. He's kind of young. He's only 14. I'm not so sure. 
but he relents and eventually George joins the band in early 1958. So now we're in 58 and the Quarrymen are moving away from Skiffle and more towards rock and roll. And that's when the original members of the Quarrymen besides John left the band. So now you've got the Quarrymen with John, Paul and George. And they would continue to perform together, but under several different band names until settling on the Beatles in 1960. So the key takeaway there, though, is that John was the founder and leader of the Beatles. Despite the agreement that he and Paul had to share writing credits on every song that either of them wrote as the Beatles, John was definitely the leader of the band. All right. So my something you didn't know, Tony, is going to build off of both the album art and the lead in from the Quarrymen into the Beatles. So early days in the Beatles, there were two other members of the Beatles. One was named Pete Best. He was the original drummer. And the other was named Stuart Sutcliffe, and he was the original bass player. I think everybody knows the story of Pete Best being asked to leave the Beatles and being replaced by Ringo Starr. Maybe not everybody knows as much about Stuart Sutcliffe, but I'm going to touch on both of them just slightly. So let me start with Stuart, Stuart Sutcliffe. So Stuart Sutcliffe was the bassist, and in 1961, Stuart decides to leave the Beatles because he's a painter, and he gets admitted to a, a graduate program, and he decides he's going to pursue his art kind of like the, the lead from Little Boy Blue and the Blue Boys. Mm -hmm. So he leaves the Beatles. Not a year later, at the age of 21, he dies of a brain hemorrhage. Holy cow. So that's Stuart Sutcliffe. Then you've got Pete Best, who gets asked to leave the Beatles because the management basically says they need a stronger drummer. He's just not strong enough, and that's when Ringo gets brought in. Well, Pete Best and Stuart Sutcliffe both kind of make an appearance on the album cover. So Stuart Sutcliffe's picture is on the album cover. One of the cardboard cu cutouts on the Sgt. Pepper album cover is Stuart Sutcliffe. So that's part one. Part two is Pete Best isn't actually on the album cover, but Pete Best has something on the al album cover. So John Lennon had seen, you know, they were friends for, for a long time growing up mm -hmm. and whatnot, yeah. had seen uh, Pete Best's dad's military medals from World War II. And he oh. thought, you know, it would be really nice to have something like military medals on my uniform. So John Lennon picks up the phone and calls Pete Best's mom, Pete Best, who had been kicked out of the band, <laughs> and asks Pete Best's mom, can I borrow your husband's military medals for the album cover for Sgt. Pepper? And she willingly gives them to him. So Pete Best's dad's military medals are what John Lennon is wearing on his uniform on the Sgt. Pepper cover. Wow. That's uh, that's good stuff for something I definitely didn't know. So I'll, I'll give you a bonus, something you didn't know that will tie into kind of the pressure component from earlier that we were talking about. So we, we both kind of talked a little bit about the pressure that the Beatles were under. And when they started recording for Sgt. Pepper's, the very first track that the Beatles recorded for Sgt. Pepper was Strawberry Fields Forever. And Strawberry Fields Forever... When I'm 64 and Penny Lane were the first three tracks that they recorded for Sgt. Pepper's. Well, EMI and their manager, Brian Epstein, were really worried about where the Beatles were. All the pressure for performing, the monkeys were incredibly successful, as Tony, as you talked about, and the Beatles were waning. So EMI felt, we need to get a hit single out there. So they decide that they're going to pick a couple of tracks and drop a single. So they take Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane, and they do a double A side single. So neither one of them was the lead. They're both considered lead tracks. They don't get a number one hit with either of them because they, they split the focus with the double A side. Mm -hmm. 
And then the Beatles had a standing policy that they would never include single tracks on albums. So they don't include Strawberry Fields or Penny Lane on Sgt. Pepper, which is a shame because they both fit perfectly. And George Martin, the legendary producer for the Beatles, in an interview that I, I listened to last night, said it was the biggest mistake of his professional career. Yeah. And considering at least maybe I'm, I'm jumping ahead to the track review or the draft, but as great as this album is, definitely some cuts that I could do without. And if I could have Penny Lane in there instead, my gosh. So I don't know. So maybe that takes us to our track review. What do you think? Uh, I think that leads us right into our track review. All right. So um, we have 13 tracks here. And the album, by the way, is a total of 40 minutes. And the first one is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So they start off the album right in persona. You get full on Sgt. Pepper's performing in front of a crowd. They actually took the recording of an audience from one of the concerts that they did. And they put that at the beginning and they come right out of the gate as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And it is an all-time great song. And this is really where you're seeing the impact of Paul stepping forward because as we talked about before, John was really the sort of the front man of the band or the leader of the band, but John was going through all his stuff and Paul came up with this conceit of the band and the alter egos. And here we are, we're going to just jump right in. And this is really Paul's record. It really is. And one of the things that I heard in interviews also between comments from George Harrison and comments from Ringo Starr is they were both bored out of their mind during the recording of this album. Really? They, they basically said it was the least engaged of any album that they'd ever recorded to this point because it was a lot of Paul on the piano. It was a lot of Paul doing orchestration and, and overdubs and knitting pieces together. Ringo said that's where he learned how to play chess and, and, <laughs> and George said he was just bored out of his mind. Maybe that's where he discovered Eastern philosophy. All right, so then we get to With a Little Help from my friends. And, and when we get is... there without a gap, which is the first time really on albums where that happened. So that's, that's a really neat way of leading into, it went straight into with a little help from my friends. You got the introduction to Billy Shears as the, as the, the end of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. Then Ringo in his Billy Shears persona comes in and sings the song. And it's just a brilliant lead in the way that they, they knit those two songs together. Just absolutely spectacular. You're right. It's, truly the sign that this is a concept album that this is not meant to be consumed as singles or individual tracks they're really telling a story here and one of the things i heard about that track also is that ringo in the recording he refused to sing a line would you throw tomatoes at me because yeah. <laughs> he, he was worried that they were kind of actually happen. it was actually going to happen at some point so yeah, now I was going to mention that. So instead of the line that we know is, would you stand up and walk out on me? And actually the original line is, would you throw tomatoes at me? And he said, no way, man. I'm not doing that. And if you think about, again, what we were talking about, you know, their experience in the Philippines and their waning popularity and, and death threats, I'm not going to be inviting anyone to throw tomatoes at me, right? Kind of makes sense now. Yeah. All right. So then we move to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So this song is is pretty famous. It's the most uh, listened to and popular song on the album, at least according to download and stream data. And it's just, it's amazing to me that John, until he died, insisted that this song was not about LSD. It was so about LSD. <laughs> 
again, you know, the stories that people tell, you know, doesn't mean that it's true, even if they tell it a hundred times. He was holed up in his house doing loads of LSD. The imagery in the lyrics is so drug induced. It's such a iconic song of the psychedelic era. There's no way. I don't care if you've invented the story about Julian drawing a picture of his friend Lucy and it had diamonds in it. Yeah, maybe that inspired it. But this song's about LSD. Yeah, And it was one of the three tracks that the BBC banned because of its drug tie. So the next track is Getting Better and just a continuation of really great music in my mind. I think the blended vocals between McCartney and Lennon on this one really work. Yeah, this is a nice one too, where you see the the difference that Paul and John just really in their personalities, you know, Paul's always the more happy, bubbly one. And, and John is the morose, depressed one. And, you know, as we've talked about a couple of times already, so John's in a bad place and Paul's working on this song and, you know, it's, it's largely upbeat, up, you know, uh, positive feeling, you know, whether or not the lyrics are all positive and they're not. And that's really what John brings to it is, you know, Paul can sometimes be a little sugary and he um, can be a little too sweet. And then John just comes in and says, oh, it can get worse. You got that sweet and sour balance, the yin and mm-hmm. yang. I mean, they really balance each other so well. Yeah. And those in that, I think it's the third verse where, you know, it talks about I used to, you know, hit my woman. You know, that's really a direct, a direct allusion to uh, John and some of the things that he later admitted to having troubles with his wife, Julian's mother. Uh, at this time, and he was abusive, and they really talk about it right front and center here. All right, so that brings us to Fixing a Hole. So Fixing a Hole is interesting because it's tied to an Elvis song loosely. There's a lyric in an Elvis song where there's a rainy, leaky roof, and McCartney writes the song about fixing a hole. And it's hard to say if this is true, but there's a lyric in this song too, where he says, see the people standing there and wonder why they don't get in my door. And that feels like it could be alluding to just the crush again of people. And, you know, he was always having people at his house that were just standing around like the, you know, modern day paparazzi. You know, there's also been some mention that it's Paul fixing a hole in himself his insecurities, his dealing with all of his fame and and whatnot. So, all right. So now we're at She's Leaving Home. Just a beautiful, sad song, especially as a parent. It's moving and it's not, it's a song actually that I didn't like the first time I listened to it. And in the 20 plus re-listens of this album, I really like this song. Yeah, it's actually always been one of my favorites on the album. And it's interesting about how this song was inspired. It was John reading the paper, the Daily Mail, and he sees this story about a teenage runaway, a gal named Melanie Coe, and she runs away, and they write this article, and he reads it, and Melanie, now having, you know, being, you know, living on the run or, or what have you, hears the song, and she goes, oh, boy, that song sounds familiar. It sounds a lot like me, but I didn't run away with a man from the motor trade, so it can't be me, and it turns out that it totally was her. All right, so now we're at Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. So another song that got banned by the BBC because of the allusion to heroin, the uh, slang term for heroin is horse, obviously, and the BBC thought it was an allusion to drugs. Well, it turns out that this was a circus poster that Lennon had seen and it inspired it. And there's a 
image of the circus poster. I'll put a link to it in the uh, episode description so you can take a look at it if you're interested. But it's really, it's kind of cool. Yeah, and it's not even just inspired by the lyrics. Literally, <laughs> pretty much exactly. Yeah. He is read not if he's not reading word for word, but he's paraphrasing everything that's on that poster. So, and and that poster was from like 1847 or something like that. So, I mean, it was really a an old timey thing and and he's just reading it because he's just working on the song and and you know we know as we've learned in in you know other uh albums that we've talked about is sometimes you know while they're working on the music they might just be singing nonsensical words or just things that come up off the top of their head and john was just reading the poster while he's working on the music and i guess he must have liked it and just stayed with it. Or maybe well, he just didn't want to bother writing lyrics. Yeah. And specifically with the whole Sergeant Pepper's Edwardian, you know, military band, it ties in. It's got that Edwardian imagery in it. So it kind of ties in perfectly with Sergeant Pepper. All right. So now here we are at Within You, Without You. So and this, this is this an is one. Well, this this is one that would never have been on a Beatles album, right? Right. So this this is them free to explore and do very different things. This this is a George Harrison song. This is a exploring the the Hindu mysticism and and specifically his experience and his journey in becoming Hindu and and learning a, about things. And this wouldn't have been on a Beatles album. They shot George down left, right, and center anyway. But this is one that they were free to have on this album because it's alter egos. It's not the Beatles, and I I love it. Yeah, I'll tell you, this one is one that has definitely grown on me. And similar to some other music, I listened to the music on this one without really paying too much attention to the lyrics because the music's fantastic. And and I don't know if this is true, but what I was finding was that this wasn't even really a Beatles track at all because it was only George. I don't think that any other Beatles appear on this. I think that he had other musicians uh, Indian musicians playing all yep. these traditional Indian instruments. So I don't think that there's any uh, Beatles on this track besides George. It is the George Harrison song. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about him being bored. So he wrote this uh, while on a six week Indian vacation in 67. So I guess he had so much time on his hands. <laughs> he he was able to take a six. Just week knock out a song. Exactly. Holiday. But then, yeah, but he knocked out a song and, and the music here is just fantastic. Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So where does that take us? So then you go to When I'm 64, which is kind of a ragtime feel to it. You, you've got the, it's a little sugary, a little McCartney sugary ragtime. It's a lot it's, McCartney. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a great song. And I think that the differences that they could go after on this album, because they weren't being the Beatles and they were being this fictional band, mm-hmm. you've got just this widespread of what they're going after on this album. And this, this is an exemplary of it. Yeah, it really does give them an opportunity to explore different parts of themselves outside of the personas that they had built up. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that um, the story goes that he wrote this really way back in those high school days when he was 15 and he just never had an opportunity yep. to record it or whatnot. And then they're doing this album. He's got that that opening because of this concept album that they're doing. And and I believe it also coincided with his father's 64th birthday. So it seemed like the stars were aligning for this. Yep. So next up is Lovely Rita. Yeah, this is one that has definitely grown on me as I've been re-listening. When I was a kid and listening to this, you know, I, I liked it because it's, you know, it's pretty catchy, but it just wasn't something that I really was drawn to. But 
over this past week or so, I've really become a fan. I agree. And it's you get the psychedelic elements to the song that I didn't get in the first listen or you know, when I would think about the song originally listening to it. It is a really cool psychedelic rock song. And you get the meter maid, which is a term that wasn't familiar to McCartney in England, but they latched onto it because it was a U.S. term and spending time in the U.S. and whatnot. And it's a really cool song. Well, I think, yeah, all that's true. And I think I suspect what it is, is this, that is the imagery. So now you've got this image of this meter maid. So in England, they're called traffic wardens. Well, traffic warden sounds kind of boring, but meter maid, you know, for me, it immediately, I don't picture you know, someone in a, in a, so uh, kind of Austin power. Oh, you're thinking kind of Austin powers here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and I could imagine in a psychedelic, uh, drug in the sixties, baby, uh, you know, <laughs> you start thinking about a meter maid and, and it could definitely create the inspiration for lovely Rita. So next up is good morning, good morning. And as I think I've read, this one was inspired by the Kellogg's cornflakes jingle. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, John just sitting around and he's, you know, wor- you know, working on songs, maybe maybe not, but he's got his afternoon soaps on. So, even <laughs> <laughs> bored also. He, he's bored, he's got the stories on and then a cornflakes commercial comes on. And and the and the crux of the commercial is you know, talking about some man's mundane life. And John says, oh, that sounds like a song. Well, and I think that Lennon was very precise in the order of the animals on the uh, recording. Supposedly, they had to be in order of what would eat the other animals. Oh, uh, really? So yeah, hierarchical in some way, shape or form. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, now I got to go back and take a look at that. So as good or clever as this song may or may not be, I definitely wouldn't miss it if we had Penny Lane in this spot instead. It is a shame that Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane didn't make this album. They would have been tight for time, but Good Morning, Good Morning could have been one that could have been easily swapped for one of those two. And I think you would have went with Penny Lane. I might have gone with Strawberry Fields. All right. Well, maybe we'll put that as a bonus poll (laughs) question. All right. So now we're at the reprise of Sgt. Pepper's. I love this track. It just rocks out. So tell me, what do you like about it? I love Ringo. I love Ringo on it. Like Ringo is phenomenal on this. So where do you land on the Ringo is the best Beatle camp? I, I land on all of them are tremendous. And Ringo is just, I think, underappreciated. Ringo is underappreciated. He is such a tremendous drummer, just an absolutely tremendous drummer. And he brought so much to that band. They would not have been the Beatles without Ringo. I don't know that I would qualify him as the best Beatle. I think they're holds his on I think they're on par with each other. I think yeah. they they are all four of them spectacular in their own own right and Ringo is underappreciated. Yeah, I agree. And I I did see a documentary about drummers uh recently or maybe actually not recently, but I saw this documentary about drummers and just a collection of drummers coming to honor Ringo and yep. you know, these are like the greatest yeah, Dave, Dave, Dave Grohl was like losing his mind about how yeah. like oh my god Ringo Starr yeah. yeah and not because he was a Beatle but because of what he could do with the drums yeah all right and now we close with a day in the life just an absolute masterpiece it, it is probably the song that I didn't know or appreciate enough and I just fell in love with the song absolutely fell in love with the song and the build-up the orchestral buildup, that just noise that they were able to pull off, just 
it's it's a masterpiece. And again, this is really just a continuation of a theme. All of these stories that uh, the little vignettes that we get in Day in the Life all come from one single copy of the Daily Mail, January 17th, 1967. John's just thumbing through and he's seeing these stories and, and he's just writing verses on them and then connects them all musically into a day in the life. And you've got two cool things with a day in the life. First, you've got the 15 kilohertz high frequency note that's on the album. Lennon's like, I think it'd be cool if we put something on there that would bug dogs. So if you, if you play the album, supposedly it will bug your dog. And the other is the endless loop at the end, uh, which the album will just keep when you put the vinyl on, it'll just keep going. Yeah, because we were talking about automatic changers with Let It Bleed, right? So sometimes an album, if your record player didn't have that feature to pull up the needle and return the arm back to the resting place, it would just stay there going over that last thread on the album over and over again. And it would end up keeping time, right? Because it's playing at exactly 33 and a third RPM and it's keeping perfect time. And it, in a way, it was almost like a metronome or music in itself. And you've got Lennon saying, been so high, and McCartney's response, never could be any other way. Just repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, this is the third song that was banned by the BBC, not for the been so high, for the I'd like to turn you on, which was incredibly controversial at the time. Yeah, and eventually what got this album unbanned was an artist, or he's a I think it was a playwright named David Story. I guess he was a prominent writer at the time, and they would do the classic Desert Island Discs feature on the BBC radio, and he put it on there, and I guess he had enough pull that the BBC said, all right, well... If David Story is going to have it on his Desert Island Discs, I guess we got to lift the ban. So this album drops and it's 67. It's the Summer of Love. And this album becomes the soundtrack for the Summer of Love. It's played everywhere. It just explodes. And their popularity explodes to a completely different level with a different group. So instead of it being the teenagers, it's the college students and the hippies and the people that are a a little bit older, not 30, because, you know, what was it? You can't trust anybody over 30 in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. So it was that generation, that college age and summer of love generation. This album was enormous. Well, there's no question that this album is one of the most influential of all time. And even if Rolling Stone no longer thinks it's number one, it's certainly in that top handful of important albums that to this day have an impact on music. Yeah, I completely agree, Tony. All right. So I think that wraps up our overview of the tracks and Tony you know what that brings us to it brings us to what I thought would be my favorite part of the show but is starting to become my least favorite part of the show oh Tony come on (laughs) so we're about to even the blind squirrel gets a nut every now and then right I don't know the blind squirrel that I know has never gotten a nut so I don't know you know we haven't closed the poll yet but I think you're about to do that maybe you're doing that as we speak and and I'll vamp a little bit and just say that the feedback that I'm getting in my DMs is that I lost again. All right, Tony, I'm clicking refresh and Come on, let's please. see where we land. Come let's on, see please. where we land. It's spinning. It's okay. The people have spoken. I won? I'm sorry to tell you you've lost again. Ha- has our 
legal counsel said that we can include a sad trombone or is that not allowed? <laughs> oh gosh well another another week another loss do you think that maybe i can pull out a victory with sergeant pepper i think that this is as good a shot as you got there's a lot of great tracks here all right well then why don't we do our draft all right so sergeant peppers was your pick oh jeez. I, I need to be more strategic in the albums that I pick. Yeah. <laughs> and why is that? Why don't we explain why is that? Because so let's just recap what our song draft is. Our song draft is a selection of tracks from the album. Tony and I take turns. We alternate picks. The person who selected the week's album lets the other person select first. And we create a little team, a roster of songs that we basically put up against each other in a poll. Tony's team versus my team. We put it out there for our listeners in a poll, and we ask for the listeners to vote on who picked the better songs. And every week, one of us will win, and one of us will lose, and that's our song draft. And so far, it seems like every week, one of us will win, and one of us will be Tony. <laughs> oh, Tony, Tony, Tony. Ah, I almost feel, I almost feel bad for you. Almost almost feel bad. Almost, almost. So with your first pick, Bill, what are you taking? So with my first pick, I am picking Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the lead track. Well, then that is fortunate for me because I'm going to take a day in the life. Yeah, that was my other possible choice. That is an excellent, excellent, excellent track. And I am going to go with, I'm going to go with, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds at number three. Well, you and the rest of Beatle fandom agree on that one. I'm going to go with with a little help from my friends. Or with That a is help. a great pick at number four. All right. At number five, I am going to go with Getting Better. I thought that was going to sneak to me. I, I the, the, the draft was kind of breaking in a positive way, and I thought that I'd get Getting Better, but didn't happen. So I'm going to go with Leaving Home. She's Leaving Home. Uh, great track. And I am going to go with Lovely Rita. That was my next selection. So I'm going to go with one that three days ago I wouldn't have picked in this spot, but I'm going to go with Within You, Without You. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's how much like the music just I, I actually thought i was going to get it next so uh, that's that's phenomenal i'm going to go with when i'm 64 i will go with fixing a hole i'm going to go with the reprise i feel like you are going to be happy with that considering how much you waxed poetic about it love 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 to love get it this late love love the reprise yes nice uh mr kite and that leaves you with good morning good morning it's interesting i would have i would have thought good morning good morning would have went ahead of mr kite but and Happy I, to take it. I was pretty plain about how I wish this wasn't on the album, so <laughs> it's safe safe to leave it. Yeah, kind of telegraph that. Yeah, safe to leave it. All right, so uh, we'll recap our rosters. Bill, you picked first. What did you get? At number one, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. At number three, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. At number five, Getting Better. At Number seven, Lovely Rita. At number nine, When I'm 64. And at number 11, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Reprise. And then at number 13, Good Morning, Good Morning. 
And for me, picking number two, I got Day in the Life. At number four, I got With a Little Help. At number six, I got She's Leaving Home. At number eight, Within You, Without You. At number 10, I got Fixing a Hole. And at number 12, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. All right, folks. So we need you to vote. So how do the uh, folks tell us who won? So we'll put a link in the episode description to our song draft poll. Please, please vote. And uh, we're going to try to think about a way that we can leave the poll open longer in the future. But right now, the way that we do it is we close it out on the week. And we really, really need you to vote. So if you're having trouble finding it, then just contact us. Please let us know. We want you to vote. We want your input. It's a lot of fun. It's it's our favorite part of this whole exercise. So please let us know if you don't know how to find that poll and we'll direct you to it. And Tony, you know what? I'm going to put a link on our Facebook page as well to oh, good. the song draft poll to just make it easier. I'll post something so people can see it. And speaking of, we also just love any comments that you give us either on Facebook, on, on Twitter, Instagram, or in our uh, text messages. Keep them coming. We love talking to you guys about these albums. So really appreciate your engagement. So I guess that brings us to the end. So Bill, do you have any final thoughts on this album? This album is one that I've listened to a lot in the past year and a half. As I said, to start the podcast off, it's one that I didn't really listen to until that period of time. Growing up, knew the Beatles, knew the Beatles early stuff, but I didn't really know much about the Sgt. Pepper Beatles and I just fell in love with this album. I absolutely love everything about it. The fact that they were able to accomplish as much as they did. The technology was changing at the time when they recorded this album. It was moving from four track to eight track. They did this album in Abbey Road Studios on four track. Mm -hmm. And what they accomplished on four tracks because of how talented they are is just unreal. It's just a spectacular album. Even 10 years later with rumors and all the time that they spent recording and all the all the cuts and dubs and edits and splices, that that was a whole nother level of technology that they had available to them and and th- that, that Fleetwood Mac had available to them in 1977. So what the Beatles were able to do 10 years prior to make this music, this incredible kaleidoscope of music come to life is pretty, pretty amazing. It's a technological achievement. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is layered so amazingly well and and it comes out so rich in the recording and specifically the vocals between McCartney and Lennon, how well they sung together. They could do a lot on one track because they could do it together and they did it perfectly. And that really stems from all that time they spent gigging when they were young and and gigging on on lousy equipment and really having to sing on sometimes all three of them on the same mic. and, And they really learned how to make that work and that's how they were able to overcome the technology and and create this incredible music they worked so well together they knew each other so intimately and so well that they could just pull off this masterpiece so for me i kind of mirror rolling stones thoughts on this and that's because when i think about this album i don't think about it in you know historical context or impact or influence or anything like that i just think about how i feel about the music when I listen to it. And I definitely don't even put it in my top three Beatles albums because I just don't necessarily like all of the songs together as much as I like the collection of songs on other albums. Love the album. It's great, but it's not my favorite Beatles album. So that brings us to where does this land on your top 20 in for our project, Bill? So for me, 
this album has changed even to last night, Tony. So, you know, I've, I take my rankings like ridiculously seriously and I have changed it so many times. My top three, I struggle with. So I'm going to, I'm just going to say that this is in my top three albums of all time, uh, as far as what I consider the best albums of all time. And ultimately where I've landed is I put it as my number one album because of its impact, because of how amazing the album is overall, because of all of the things that it led into, regardless of not having Penny Lane and, and Strawberry Fields on it, there's not a track on this album I don't like. And it is, it is the start of album rock. It is the start of people listening to albums. There's not a number one hit on this album. I don't care. This album is phenomenal. It's ageless. I listen to it today. It's just as powerful today as when they recorded it. It's a phenomenal album. I can't disagree with you. So I think that's a great place to end. So thank you all for joining us on this adventure with Sgt. Pepper and with Bill's number one album of all time. So keep in mind, guys, so listen up because he we can't let him change. You know, so when the <laughs> when we do the Led Zeppelin four or whatever album, you know, we can't let him get away with now this is my number one album. So he's stuck here with Sgt. Pepper as number one. I'm happy to be stuck with Sgt. Pepper as number one. All right. I think that leads us to the end. And next week we're going to talk about Purple Rain by Prince. Love it. Can't wait. Can't wait to get my purple on. <laughs> Gonna start practicing some Prince on the guitar. Can't wait. Well, I'll just make you up a batch of pancakes just to uh, get us ready. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. See you next week. Thanks, everybody.